0: I'm um, Going to, as you can see on the screen, uh, continue our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. I hope some of the things that we say tonight will be beneficial to everyone. Uh, our study finds us tonight, uh, now in chapter 6. And um, rather than begin with, with a recap of, of what of the five chapters that we've gone through so far, I thought it might be beneficial to talk a little bit Uh, at the onset here uh, about the structure of the book. I haven't talked a lot, or really at all, about the structure of the book, and um, understanding the structure uh, or the framework of the book is absolutely crucial to understanding the book in and of itself. So I want to take a little bit of time and and talk about uh, how Solomon structures his argument. If you've read through, and I hope you have, but if you've read through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, you may have noticed that Solomon seems to waffle uh, between times of depressing emptiness and times of contentment and happiness. Uh, If you remember in chapter one, he talked to us about um, six irrefutable facts about life under the sun, life is mundane, life is uh, full of hard work and labor. Uh, In chapter two, he talked to us, uh, remember it was his autobiography, Uh, He talked to us about all the things that he chased after, alcohol, uh, work, and career, sex, and other things. This is starting to sound like a recap. (laughs) That's not not the point what I'm trying to make. But in chapter 2, verses uh, 17 uh, through 18, he says, after telling us about all these things that he chased after, he says, therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me for all his vanity and grasping for the wind. Then I hated all my labor in which I toiled under the sun. Pretty deep thing for somebody in the Bible to say, I hated life. But after all the things that he chased after apart from God, that's the conclusion that he came to. He said, I hated life. Again, not something that you expect to read in the Bible. But then just a few verses later in chapter chapter 3, verses 11 through 13, he says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. And then in verse 12, I know that nothing is better for them than to, than to rejoice and to do good in their lives, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. So he was down in the dumps. He seemingly has come back out of it. Uh, and then uh, just a few verses later again in chapter 4, which we skipped, but in chapter 4, verses 2 uh, through 3, he says, uh, he's, he's just got through talking about how evil mankind is uh, and how depressing it is to watch man's inhumanity toward man. He says, therefore, I praise the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still alive, yet better than both is he who never existed, who has never seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Better than than both is he who has never lived. Again, here we are again, down in the dumps. Um, But then again, we climb back out of it not before we get through, or or chapter five, verses 16 through 17, this is what we studied last time. He's talking about a man who uh, accumulated much wealth, but through some misfortune, he, he lost all of it. And he says all his days, he also eats in darkness. He has much sorrow and sickness and anger. But then again, just a couple verses later, chapter five, verses 18 through 20, he says, uh, just paraphrasing or skipping, uh, a little bit, he says, As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God, for he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life because God keeps him busy with the joys of his heart. So again, seemingly, if you read through the book, Solomon takes us through what seems like a, a roller coaster of emotion. At one minute, he he's going through times of, of depressing emptiness. And then just a few verses later, uh, he's popped out of it and he's. it seems like the sh- the shadow of God has fallen across his path. And he, uh, again, he pops out of it and he says, well, life really can be enjoyed because it is a gift from God. So again, kind of hard to, if you read through it, hard to understand a little bit, hard to make sense of. I think, uh as we study uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, it must be remembered that the preacher is presenting us two different perspectives of life. He's presenting us two different perspectives of life. First and foremost, he's presenting the perspective under the sun. These are all these times of depressing emptiness that we, that we read just a moment ago. Under the sun, remember, it, was, it is mentioned some 30 times in this book. And when he says under the sun, that is life lived without God. Under the sun means life lived without a practical faith in God, or life lived by purely earthly standards of human perceptions unaided by the word of God and faith. Um, again, this is these times of depressing emptiness. This is life under the sun. This is life lived without God. And he's comparing it to life above the sun he doesn't ever say above the sun in the book but above the sun uh, this other perspective that he's trying to bring us as his readers to uh, above the sun would be god-centered and a divine perspective of, of life directed uh, directed by god's word so again as we study through the book we have to remember that he's presenting two different perspectives of life and whatever statement you come across you can put them you can put a statement into one of these two boxes and it has to be remembered uh, as we as we go through uh, the book. Well, I guess that would bring up the question: Why the mingled pattern? Why the up and the down? Why why the why the mingled pattern um, throughout this uh, throughout this text? A couple of points here uh, from this is Ron Quarters' uh, commentary on the Book of Ecclesiastes. If you don't have it, I would highly recommend it. These are two points directly from this commentary and I, just, I thought they were too good not to share. But why the mingled pattern, Mr. Quarter says, first of all, such is life. Such is life. Is there not a better representation of how life comes at us from time, you know, from time to time? Ups and downs. Uh, we experience moments of intense pleasure and happiness, one moment and then sometimes even in the very same day we experience times of depressing emptiness and sadness. Uh, Mr. Quarter says, what could be more realistic to how human experience and the battle of faithfulness knocks on our door than this up and down, this mingled pattern? Uh, a quote from one of my favorite movies, life is a storm, my young friend. You will bask in the sunlight one moment and be shattered on the rocks the next. Again, life, life is a series of ups and downs. Um, but I think probably more to the point here uh, is that Solomon, like we said, is making a comparison between the two perspectives. He's making a comparison between life above the sun, life lived with a practical faith in God, and life, life lived without a practical faith in God. And Mr. Quarter says the dialectical pattern of opposites is a strategy of highlighting. The glory of a God-centered life shines all the brighter when contrasted to its gloomy opposite. So he's he's going through these ups and downs in a way to contrast the two perspectives. The glory of a God-centered life shines so much brighter when compared side by side to its gloomy opposite. Solomon contrasts with the hope that the reader will avoid the labyrinth of dead-end streets, these things that he tried under the sun that society still today uses to convince themselves that life is meaningful. We have to understand this this, this structure, uh, I think, um, in order to understand the book of Ecclesiastes. And I go through this um, at the beginning here this afternoon because as we approach chapter six, I think you may agree that chapter six is the darkest chapter in this book. And it may be the darkest chapter in the Bible. He reaches probably the lowest of lows here in this chapter. And so, just to prepare you for the doom and gloom that we will read here in a moment, I wanted to talk about the the roller coaster because he is trying, he is building his argument and he's making this comparison and he's trying to get his reader to understand that life lived without God is meaningless. Remember, that's his thesis. And in order to build that argument, in order to make it so obvious to the reader He goes through these times of doom and gloom. He talks about all the things that he tried that left him totally empty. He talks about in chapter 4, specifically here in chapter 6 as well, some of the things that he observes that just fills life up with frivolity and vanity. And he says, all of these things combined, put together, make life lived without God meaningless and a heavy, heavy burden and we have to like i said we have to understand that that strategy uh, that he's that he's using to to prove his point to prove his argument here so three headings tonight uh, that's going to guide us through this section of the text these will be just kind of like i said three headings that will will serve to to guide us through the text number 1 satisfaction is not guaranteed Number two, you're better off dead. And number three, wanting what we don't have. We'll just talk about these three things this evening uh, and then bring our lesson to a close. So number one, satisfaction is not guaranteed. He says there in verse one, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that he lacks nothing of himself, all he desires, yet God does not give him power to eat of it, but a foreigner consumes it. This is vanity, and it is an evil affliction. So really on the tail end of chapter 5, where we talked so much about money, uh, he continues that line of thought here, and he describes for us a man who has riches. He describes for us a man who has riches, who also has fame? Uh, it says that he has honor. So he's he's accumulated these riches uh, in an honorable way. He is he is known uh, with dignity throughout his community. So he's accumulated richer riches. He has honor, and he, and he even goes on to say that he has everything he desires. He has everything that his heart desires. But he says uh, he lacks. Uh, God does not give him power to eat of it, but a foreigner consumes it foreigner consumes it. For the longest time when I read this verse, I thought that he must be talking about a man who's in extreme debt. He accumulated all this wealth and all this riches and, and fame and honor, uh, but he, he was in terrible debt to, to somebody else, and, and a foreigner ended up consuming all of it. Uh, and that may, be, um, that may be an explanation here, but I think probably what is more to Solomon's point is Here's a man who, who has worked hard his whole life, who has accumulated wealth, he's accumulated riches, uh, he's done it in an honorable way, and yet through some happenstance, whether it be sickness or a, a tragic accident, death perhaps, he's just simply unable to enjoy it. Uh, he's spent all this time in preparation, he's got his retirement set up, He's he saved um, diligently his whole life, ready to retire. Now he's retired. Day two of retirement, he dies. And he's not able to enjoy all the work that he's that he's worked uh, so hard and, and all the, the security that he's worked so hard to, uh, to accumulate. I think that's the picture of the man here. And, and, and Solomon says this is common among men. Uh, this is something that happens more often than, than you might think. And so I think the point here is even though one may amass fame and fortune, life is unpredictable. Even though one may amass fame and fortune, life is unpredictable and one is not guaranteed to enjoy them. You may work hard your entire life, you may save, 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 and prepare for, you know, try to put aside as whatever to, to, in order to, to gain security for yourself at a later date, but all of that hard work and all that planning and all that preparation is no guarantee that you're ever gonna see the fruits of it. He says that is, it is vanity and it is an evil affliction. That satisfaction is not guaranteed. We may go through all the planning and all the hard work, but still, life is unpredictable. We have very little control, and our satisfaction of these things is not guaranteed. The person that I think about when I when I read these verses is Kobe Bryant Kobe Bryant is not he's not a personal hero of mine but um, you know when I was a kid playing basketball uh, at I don't know 10 11 12 years old um, 25 years ago um, I wore Kobe Bryant's number when I was a kid playing basketball all of us wanted to be like Kobe Bryant he was the man uh, in the post-Michael Jordan era, it was Kobe Bryant. We all wanted to be like Kobe Bryant. And so I wore his number, and again, he was the man. Well, he retired, I believe it was back in 2016. And of course, you all remember, um, most likely in 2020, just four years into retirement, uh, You know, he and his daughter uh, were on a trip, and uh, their helicopter crashed, and he died. And again, here is a man that he worked hard, of course, he had a lot of talent, and he heaped up wealth and riches and honor so that he lacked nothing that, of, that he desired, yet even he could not guarantee, none of these things were a guarantee that he was going to be able to enjoy it. He enjoyed it for a little while, I'm sure, but he too perished. And <laughs> again, it is... It is vanity, and it is an evil affliction. It is common among men. People who gather up wealth and riches—it it is no guarantee that you are going to enjoy it. Psalms thirty-nine and six says, "A man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather." Maybe a story a little bit closer to home, but like Judy's dad right now. He has worked hard his entire life, and he is he is well respected respected in his community, and he is you know he's finally. Retired, he still works a little bit, but he should be in the golden years of his life. But one mistake, and now he's looking at losing a limb like the very real possibility of losing a limb. Again, even though we might work really hard all of our lives and accumulate wealth and riches and honor security for ourselves, life is unpredictable. We have very little control of what might happen to us tomorrow. And there is no guarantee that we're going to enjoy it. No guarantee that we're going to get to enjoy it. And so Solomon looks at all this, and what he says next, I think, is a culmination of all the frustration that he's built up in the first five chapters of this book. Remember in chapter 2, he says, I tried alcohol, I tried money, I tried work and career, I tried sex, I tried fame and fortune, I tried it all, it left me empty. In chapter five that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, he talks about all of the frivolity and all the vanity with money. Money cannot buy you happiness. Money is temporary, you can't take it with you. Money only brings with it worry. And then here, like we just studied, it's, there's no guarantee that you're going to enjoy any of this. All of this vanity that a person may experience in life apart from God, and he says this, If a man begets a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many. Remember in Old Testament times, the pinnacle of wealth and honor was that a man lived many years and that he fathered many children. So if he, if, even if a man reaches the pinnacle of wealth and honor, but his soul is not satisfied with goodness, or indeed he has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better than he. For it comes in vanity and departs in darkness, and its name is covered with darkness. Though it has not seen the sun or known anything, this has more rest than that man even if he lives a thousand years twice, but has not seen goodness, do not all go to one place. Solomon says that life under the sun, again, this is a culmination of all his frustration that he experienced and all his, all his dead end streets, chasing down those dead end streets, all of that frustration and those experiences, all of the frustration and all the evil and all the trials and all the frivolity that he, and vanity that he's observed, and he says, life under the sun is so disappointing. Again, under the sun is without God. Life without God is so disappointing, you're better off dead. You're just simply better off dead. I tried to warn you, I know this, this is a low. Um, and specifically he says that a, a person who, who uh, does not see goodness or whose soul is not satisfied, presumably there's, there's a piece spiritually missing. Um, and a person that doesn't have God in his life. And so he says, better to have never lived at all than to experience life without God with all the trials and frivolity. This is why, I, I know this is dark, but this is why I love the book of Ecclesiastes because it is a total reality gut check. Ecclesiastes asks the hard questions that, that people are so afraid to ask today. So many people in our culture live their lives and fill their lives up with noise and distractions with, they try to fill it up with money, with possessions, with sex, with travel, you name it. Try to fill their lives up with distractions in order to distract themselves from this fact that they know deep down in their souls to be true. That life lived without God, in the end, is meaningless. In the end is meaningless. And even if you enjoy some some percentage of happiness apart from God, death is the great equalizer. Listen to what he says. Uh, I'm going to skip a little bit to verse 8. For what more has the wise man than the fool? What does the poor man have? Who knows how to walk before the living? He says, it doesn't matter like... It doesn't matter if you've worked and worked and worked and made yourself rich and enjoyed it a little bit. What's the difference between you and the poor man? You're both going to die. And he says, it doesn't matter if you study and study and study and become wise. In the end, what is the difference between you and the fool? Both of you are going to die. Again, I know this is dark, but the point that he's trying to make And the point that so many people need to listen to today in our culture is life lived without God, in the end, is frustrating. There's no guarantee that you're going to enjoy it. It's full of frivolity. It's full of vanity. Uh, And it is an evil affliction, he says, apart from God. He has to bring us to this low, I think, to really drive this point home. Uh, and again, that point is life lived without God. If, you re- if people are really honest with themselves, if they really stop and think, without all the clamor, without all the noise, if, if a person is really honest with themselves, everybody knows. Everybody knows that life without God is meaningless. That's why there's so many things that people try to fill their lives up with. Um, today. thirdly and finally wanting what we don't have he says in verse 7 all the labor of man is for his mouth and yet the soul is not satisfied he says what is the point you go to work so you can make money so you can eat food so you can go to work so you can make money so you can eat food so you can go to work so you make money so you can eat food so you can work some more all the labor of man is for his mouth and yet the soul is not satisfied The soul is not satisfied. John Clements in the Wall Street Journal said this, and this will segue into our next point. We may have life and liberty, but the pursuit of happiness is not going well. We constantly hanker after fancier cars and fatter paychecks, and initially such things boost our happiness, but the glow of satisfaction quickly fades, and soon we're yearning for something else. Soon we're wanting something else. And so Solomon now, in verse 9, I think he begins a section of the book that's going to continue through chapter 10 where he just gives us some, some pithy common sense in order to decrease vanity in our lives. Some really good down to earth common sense in order to decrease the vanity uh, that we may experience in life. He says in verse nine, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. He says, better to be content with what you have than to let your eyes wander. Better to receive it as a gift from God. Why? Because constant longing, constant wanting for what you don't have is like grasping for the wind. As soon as you grab it, you'll want something else. It's insatiable. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering, of, than the wandering of, the de, of desire. How can we apply that today? What about work? Number one, better to be happy w- with one's occupation and wages than always wandering with desire. Better to be content with one's occupation and your paycheck than to always be dissatisfied and always wanting for a little more money. A little more money, a little more money. Better the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. What about our possessions? Better to be content with the blessings you have and thankful than to constantly yearn for something new. I'm guilty of this from time to time. I'm guilty of this from time to time. I've told y'all the story. I bought a camera a couple years ago as a gift to myself for passing the Passing, passing my licensing exam. And uh, a couple of weeks later, Judy catches me on the computer and I'm looking, I'm looking at another camera. And she says, what in the world are you doing? You just bought a camera. And I say, yeah, but I've got to do this one. This one will do this thing. It never ends. Same thing. I bought, a, I bought a bike. It was a mountain bike a few years ago. This was when I was biking to work. And so, honey, I've got to have a bike. And so I bought a bike. Well, Same situation. A couple weeks later, Judy catches me on the computer. I'm looking at another bike on the internet. She says, what are you doing? I said, well, that was a mountain bike. Now I've got to have a road bike. say, a road bike's where it's at. Again, it never ends. As soon as, if you get caught in in that line of thinking, if you're always desiring, always wanting, and never content, um you'll always be, dis- be disf- dissatisfied because life is an insatiable appetite. Better to be content with the blessings you have than constantly yearn for something new. Thirdly, what about our marriages? I have to be careful with my wording here because I don't want it to sound like better to be content with the old ball and chain than to, that's, that's not the point. But better to keep your heart at home than to have wandering eyes. Better to keep your heart at home than to have wandering eyes. Again, the wandering of desire. Better, the, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. Don't always be looking around wanting something else. Don't always be looking around wanting a, wanting a fatter paycheck. Be content with what you have. Don't always be looking around wanting some, a new bike or a new camera or whatever. Be content with what you have. Don't better to keep your heart at home than to have wandering eyes as far as our marriages go, as well. We have to stop thinking that something out there can provide lasting happiness because his point throughout this book is that there's nothing out there that can provide lasting fulfillment. That's a big theme in the book. In conclusion, chapters one through six. He talks to us at length about why life lived without God is meaningless. And again, I was fully intent on skipping this chapter because I know it's dark. But like, like I said, we—he ha- has to bring us to these low points to really make a God-centered life shine all the brighter. But in chapter, I, I want to leave you, I guess, with a little with a little ray of hope. And and I hope you don't groan whenever you see Ecclesiastes on the screen from now on again. I I know the verses here can be depressing and dark. But in chapter seven through 10, they're beautiful chapters. And he just spends those three chapters, three or four chapters, and just some really good common sense teaching on how to avoid vanity in life. How to avoid things that increase vanity. And um, I hope we get the chance to to study on those things um, at some point down the road, Lord willing. That's been our study tonight. Um, Again, to try to pull us out of this text that, again, that seems depressing and empty, I guess the point I would try to drive home is This is a fact for a person who lives apart from God. This is, what what you end up with if you live apart from God is everything that he's talked about from chapters one through chapter six. That life is meaningless and it is full of vanity and trials and frivolity. That's the person who lives apart from God. If you're here today and you're living apart from God, if you are honest with yourself and face, face the facts, this is what you're left with. And we also have to remember that Solomon, he didn't get to see the end of the, the end of the picture. He never saw the Messiah. He never saw the establishment of the new covenant and all the hope and the peace and the forgiveness of sins, all the benefits that you and I received because of it. He didn't get to see that picture. And so he spends a lot of time in dark places. You and I get to see that picture. If there's somebody here tonight and you haven't obeyed the gospel, I would suggest study through Ecclesiastes because what he presents to you is the life you've chosen apart from God. You could change that tonight. You can become a believer you can be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you can change your life. And you can have hope and joy and peace, hope of an eternal life in heaven. You can have forgiveness of your sins through Jesus Christ. If there's somebody who hasn't taken those steps tonight, that opportunity is here. If there's someone who has, and you've let sin creep back into your life, and you feel the need to realign your life, you have that opportunity tonight as well. You can get your life back on track And you can find, again, the peace, the hope, the joy, the gift that life really is through Jesus. If there be one of either case, why don't you come while we stand and sing?